0: Welcome to Speak Up International with Rita Burke and Elton Brown.
1: We have been all over the globe on Speak Up International. We've interviewed people f- from South Africa, Mexico, Brazil, England, the United States of America. But today we're back home. We're going to be interviewing uh, Miss Nicole Cummins Morgan. Nicole has over 15 years of experience in the early childhood education sector. She facilitates workshops ranging from anti-Black racism to communication. Most recently, Nicole published a children's book. And so in a nutshell, we will be chatting with a woman who is an executive director. She's a consultant, she's a facilitator, and she is an author. Help me welcome Miss Nicole Cummins. Morgan.
2: Hello, Rita. Quite the introduction. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. How are you? I am truly,
1: truly wonderful and feel blessed, especially given the fact that you're here with us today.
2: I feel the same way blessed and highly favored. Always great to talk to great people.
0: I have to say, congratulations about the children's book that you have written. How does your Book teach valuable lessons to students? And if so, can you give us a couple of examples?
2: Yes. The book was actually came out, it actually was born out of a poem. So, as an early childhood educator, I was working with a teacher in a full day kindergarten program. And the educator, for some reason, believed that children were, you know, I mean, I guess somewhat different than adults in the sense that could do things magical, I would think. One of the, one of the things I always talk about of the stories I share is she would ask some of the students, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, and six-year-olds to go to the washroom and fart. Now, I'm not sure about anyone here, but that's pretty magical if you're able to do that. That's definitely a superpower. So it was almost like the expectations that this educator had for these young people were just absolutely absurd. So for me, it made me want to, you know, advocate for this child. And because I've been blessed with the ability to write stories and songs, uh, this poem came to me. And through this story, I've been able to help people understand that all children and everyone for that matter, learn differently. So while some people are able to, you know, perhaps write neatly and legibly, others may not be able to write legibly, but they can convey their message through another way. Um, Maybe it's a situation where a child or an adult, again, does things slower than other people. That's okay. Take your time. Your process is important. The process is important. It's about understanding that, you know, it's not about, we all hear that saying, it's not about the journey. It's, a, you know, people will say it's about the journey, not the destination. So similar to our learning, I you know, I'm hoping that through this story, you know, people, young people, children, adults are able to learn that as well. Um, and ultimately, the end of the story gets to, you know, I'm hoping I have time. It's a two-minute read, so maybe I can read it if we have time later, um, to kind of just say, listen. The bottom line is, it doesn't matter if you are going to be a doctor, lawyer, or a teacher, it doesn't matter, you're still going to be great, no matter what you do. Stay true to yourself, stay true to what you love to do, um, value your talents, your gifts, and your skills, and you'll be fine. So that, to me, was the moral of the story, and especially because I wanted educators to change their way of thinking about educating our young people, because we're losing them, like You know, we're going through right now, um, I call it an epidemic in terms of what's happening to our children, because I feel like if we don't take a stand now to change the way our systems are educating our young people, things are just going to get worse. And yeah, so that's where I'm at.
1: So, Nicole cummins Morgan. On Speaker Up International, we seek to inspire, to educate, and to inform through the stories of our guests that we call community builders. And in your bio, you state that you facilitate workshops. Please tell our audience about your workshops. I'd love to. Yes,
2: yeah, so the workshops that I'm working on Um, they're designed with the participants in mind. So our workshops are accessible, they're relevant, and they're interactive. We provide workshops for children, youth, and adults. Um, One of the workshops for children and youth is titled Unwrap Your Gift. We decided that, or I decided to work on one of those, or create that workshop, because I, again, back to education, back to the systems that we're in, I realized that, Educators don't have the time to truly develop and nurture and encourage our young people's talents, gifts and skills. So I want to provide an opportunity where they're able to do that. So it isn't just about steam. So yes, we know we're talking about science, technology, engineering, arts and math. That's important, but it's also about gardening. It's all, it's about baking. It's about, you know, truly owning in early. So. I'm hoping that, you know, starting as young as three, four, and five, we can get our kids into what they love to do. Let's help them get to where they want to be. Because my goal for this is that if we can start them early in loving what they do and finding their, their talents and their gifts and their skills, then they will avoid the negative behaviors that lead to, you know, substance abuse, being on the street. Um, Not, you know, being educated, not not doing what they're supposed to do in terms of becoming that citizen, you know, that's a contributing, positive contributing citizen to our global, you know, kind to us globally, to us, yeah.
1: It sounds to me as if you are threading the concept of emotional intelligence into everything that you do. I think that is truly wonderful that's truly wonderful because you have to connect with them because they're whole beings
2: 100%
1: the children you work with are whole beings and you can't fragment them and put them into little boxes so it sounds like a great idea
2: thank you
0: you are a early childhood educator and educational consultant so what motivates you to get up and get out there and work with these kids and if you could also Give us some specific aspects of the community that you value
2: I you know working as an early childhood educator you're you were immersed in families daily. you're immersed in children's um interests in their work, in their development. you're so for me, as an observer, I, I always tell people that was my superpower that I can observe everything like you know people. <laughs> Oh, you noticed my haircut. Yeah, I did. Notice that you weren't smiling. Yes, I did. Notice your new outfit. Yes, I did. And for me, I took that and I still take that as one of God's gifts to me because I feel like because I'm such an observer, I'm I'm so observant, it helps to build relationships with the children and the families that I work with. So because I have that skill, I felt like consulting would be the next step in terms of helping the children and the families that I work with. Because I feel that people will take information and receive information a lot better from somebody who's willing to get to know them. So when I think about the consulting, I feel that I say consulting because a lot of times it's a two-way street. I feel like consulting is better than saying teaching it's better than saying um you know leader i'm the i'm the boss it's it's about working with the families working with the individuals so for example working with the families that i'm working with as a consultant i'm helping them as they are you know going through their parenting journey because we know that number one nobody's taught how to be a parent nobody like it's one of the biggest skills in the world I believe strongly it's the skill that actually makes our world go around and yet this skill is not developed the way it should be right so for me I had to figure out a way to get this information to families in a way that was helping them feel like they were a part of it so when I think about the consulting and the strategies that we use some of the strategies that we use are we we use um, self-regulation. So we. I know that we're going to talk about a little bit about that later, but I also use a um, model that I created. It's called Remember, Reflect, Change, and Maintain. So for Remember, Reflect, Change, and Maintain, it's an approach that I created when I thought about the fact that in everything that we do, you have to stop and remember, where am I? What's happening in the situation? Maybe it's bringing you back to um, a place where, oh, I remember this event. This is something that, you know, I'm thinking about, right? Whether it's in your work life, whether it's in your relationship. Remember is a tool that we know that happens within our brain. Um, So like I said, remembering is a consulting approach and method designed to help individuals make lasting improvements in their lives. So by helping these participants and helping our participants, the families and the children, figure out their role right as a parent as a caregiver your role is important we already know that research says that parents are children's number one and first teachers so when I think about the the role that I play in the communities that I'm trying to help develop consulting felt like the best way to reach out so remember is one part of the model reflect. So reflecting on their current situation, by thinking about, okay, well, you know what, am I being the best person I can be as a model for my children, and reflect, once you reflect, you then have to make a change, right? So whether whether that change be a physical change of saying, you know what, I'm going to eat better, I'm going to exercise, I'm going to do mindfulness, you know, meditation, whatever it is, you have to make a change, and then you have to maintain that change. Right. So I'm hoping that through my consulting services for children, for youth, for adults, we're able to use our model of remember, reflect, change and maintain to help them to get through some of the the life, you know, challenges that we're all going through as families, as people. Right. Because a lot of us, as like I said before, parents were not taught how to be parents. So imagine we're going through trying to learn who we are as individuals. And now we got a mold, little people coming up who we're not even sure about ourselves. So now it's, we're trying to figure out them. So, you know, I know, I'm sorry, I can go. it's,
1: It's by guess and by golly, because as you said, yes, there is no educational program to say this is the best way to raise children. And well, there's some psychology books now that will tell us those kinds of things. But in your bio as well, you state that you are a coach. Who are your clients? I know you alluded to a few of them, but talk more about your clients.
2: Yeah. So we're, we wanted to do, I want to do tutoring because I know that literacy is another major issue that's having, that we're having right now for, you know, post pandemic. It's, it's hard. Our young people their rating levels, math, like a lot has been lost when we went through the pandemic. So literacy is huge in terms of what I wanted to help our young people um, do better with. But I felt like tutoring sound and seemed to, um, you know, linear. It wasn't, I wanted it to be more broad. So I felt like using the word coach was a bit better for me, because when you think of a coach, you think of someone cheering you on, supporting you, providing you with strategies on how you can be the best you can be. And that's what we're trying to do. So we decided to create a program. So coaching and tutoring services for our young people in particular. So children. Um, three to 12, where we're not doing just literacy, we're doing um, executive function skills, self regulation, um, communication skills, helping them from early. Like I said, I- I'm gonna have to keep saying that. You'll probably hear me say it too many times. But like I said, er- when I talk about early childhood experiences, it's not a joke. Early childhood education is the key to, for me, anyways, for our society to be better. So, um, when I think about coaching, I think about my, our young people and our youth. A lot of our youth are struggling. They don't have guidance the way they should. So that's another reason why I wanted to use the word coaching with our youth to help them figure out, again, their skills, their talents, their gifts. What is it that they like to do? What is it that we can help them incur? Um, how can we encourage and nurture them to stay on a path to, to, to lead to something positive? They just need sometimes. Our young people just need somebody who cares, somebody who loves and shows them something for them to feel like, you know what? I'm valued. I am somebody. I can do it. So that's what I'm hoping to get from and I have received, you know, some feedback from in terms of the coaching and that program, the, t- the coaching and tutoring program. And we even thought about coaching our families, right? In terms yes. of how are they, you know, what, what are their dynamics like? And again, Mm -hmm. I feel like when we use the word consulting and coaching, it just sounds more reciprocal as opposed to just one person, you know, as an expert. No, I we do we work together to create a program that's best for all of us involved, right?
0: I think that is an excellent idea instead of just focusing on the kids, but to also focus in on their families. It has to be a joint. Effort. It can't be just, all right, well, we're going to take the kid to XYZ reading class and they're going to be brilliant when they come out. No, it has to be something that is constantly going, something that's constantly moving in order for that kid to connect, grasp, remember, as you Mm -hmm. said, and then be able to move forward. Yeah. Uh, You mentioned something about your family and how you love your family like cooked food.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so yes, for me uh, okay so for me when I when I read that I went yum 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 <laughs> tell us what that expression means to you and how does your family play a role in your career and your personal life.
2: Awesome question. I love it. I, you know, I'm a foodie. I always like to tell people, you know what, if you want to go for dinner, call me, I'm available. Um, I love food. I, you know, as a West, growing up in a West Indian background, like my parents are from Jamaica, we surrounded ourselves with food, like it was a social part of our upbringing. And it was A part of love right like it was almost like you're sick here's some food you you, you don't feel good oh here's some food you're sad oh here's some food like (laughs) you know so (laughs) for me I was like oh it's it's almost like it's part of me I need to be a part of it so that's why when I think about my family as I loving them like cooked food I love cooked food so much because it it's, it's something it's food for my soul that my family too is food for my soul. And without them, I wouldn't be where I am. When I think about the support that they provide, oh my gosh, I'm so blessed. Like I can't say it enough. You know, like I was blessed to find a great partner. My husband and I have been together for almost 30 years. Um, I had my baby young. I, you know, I started I had my son at 17. Um, so I was a part of that, Um, you know, single, I had to, you know, I experienced single parenthood for a little bit. Um, So yeah, so I feel like they've been very supportive in everything that I've done. They've been there for my pop-up shops. They're, you know, they're helping me with my editing my videos. They're right behind me. And they're, they're the reason why I thought about even starting Wondrous Educational Workshops in a sense that, when I saw the dynamics of us in terms of our love, our communication between each other, I felt like I want other families to feel this. I want people to understand that while things are not perfect in our family, no way, shape or form, we, we're we good. Like, And that happened because I was able to, and my husband and I were able to, you know, share that information with our young people about the importance of communication with each other. Communication with um, them as siblings, um, you know, to keep it open, you know, even with regards to being happy and grateful. Like that's another piece that I believe has really helped with regards to us being where we are. So, yeah, they're supportive 100%, and I'm grateful for them.
1: So, we're speaking with Nicole Cummins Morgan. And one of the things that she does is she helps people to self-regulate. I am curious because when I went to school, that term wasn't so popular. Talk mm-hmm. to us, please, Dr. audience, about the strategy or the process that you use to help people with self-regulation, please. Okay,
2: 100%. Um, so for us, you know, when I thought about self-regulation, it it comes from a uh, my learning, obviously, with early childhood education, we talked a lot about that. And then we also, for me, I did some research on some, you know, sorry, the researcher that I I, I ended up reading more about was Stuart Shanker. So Stuart Shanker created a book, uh, Self-Regulation, and um, how to help your child break the stress cycle. And for him, he created five self-regulation steps. So he talked about, you know, reading the signs and reframing the behavior. Something that many of us, and what I love about his book too, is he really does um, dig deeper into helping people understand that self-regulation isn't just about helping our young people, it's about helping everyone. Because many of us actually missed out on how to truly build our self-regulation skills Um, and our executive functioning skills. So yeah, so number one, um, we talk about, you know, reading the signs and reframing reframing the behavior. Um, Understanding the behavior helps all of us with the next step. And the next step is to identify the stressors. Um, Once we're able to read the sign, identify the stressors, our brain then starts to like work on how to deal with what's happening in our life. And that's Part of how we regulate ourselves is more understanding. And when we talk about the learning behind this, it's important that if you haven't developed it, especially starting from as early as early childhood, um, your early years, which is zero to 12, it's hard to start as an adult to do this unless you conscientiously say and intentionally say, you know what, I am lacking these skills, I need to work on them. So, you know, identifying the stressors. Um, And once we're able to identify the stressors and work on how to deal, we have to understand that we need to try to reduce that stress. So we know that that's not always easy. I mean, easier said than done. But for us, when we're talking to our families and consulting and coaching, um, and even with the workshops that we're providing, we help them understand that it's okay to remove yourself. Remove yourself from... The situation, whether it's physically, whether you have to actually move jobs, whether you have to move out of the place that you're living. Um, emotionally, sometimes we know it's really hard to let go of friendships and family relationships. But if you if that's going to reduce the stress that you're under, it's important for you to do that. Um, mentally, reducing, you know, removing yourself mentally, letting go of some of the things that we think about when it comes to um, relationships that are causing the stress. And then financially and socially, right? Again, just reducing it some way, shape, or form. And the other thing that we do when we're thinking about um, self—what we when we're thinking about self-regulation—is um, reflect. And this is where, when I thought about my model, remember, reflect, change, and maintain. In all the research that I've been doing, everyone kind of touches on that. You know, the remember part, the reflecting, the changing. That's always a part of, and I'm sure when you think about it for yourselves, I was hoping that we could have a moment to kind of just try it. You know what I mean? You tell me something that you think about. um, Remember, reflect, change, and maintain. But just going back to the self-regulation in terms of the strategies that we use with our families. um, The other piece is respond. So, you know, responding to what we, you know, we had to think about in terms of, um, reading the signs, identifying the stressors, reducing the stress. Now respond. Figuring out what brings you back to being calm, and that's very hard for our young people to understand because, like I said, they haven't been taught. Their brains haven't developed. Another uh, research, another book that we, a resource that we use, is by Dr. Siegel and Dr. Bryson, who talks about understanding the brain, the whole brain child understanding that there's so many things involved in the brain left brain right brain upstairs brain downstairs brain that impact all of this our self-regulation skills our executive function skills and in, to, in order for us to truly be the best that we can be we need to develop these skills right because without them you know academically what's the point you can you can be as smart as whatever you need to be. Without our self-regulation skills, our executive function skills, without these abilities to understand why we do what we do and how we're being compassionate to one another, it's not going to make a difference. You need to be kind. You need to know how to communicate with people. You need to know how to control what you're going through and be mindful of the situations and the the relationships that you're in and be mindful of how you are being in those relationships with people, right? How are you being? So in terms of the strategies for, you know, Dr. Bryson and Dr. Siegel, they talk about the fact, again, with connect and redirect, right? Mm -hmm. The importance of within the West Indian culture, a lot of times we remember growing up, I know for me growing up, discipline was always physical. So it's important for us to help people understand, let's try something else, connect first, right? Name it to tame it naming it understanding what the situation is which goes back to self-regulation so they're all tied together um in terms of the strategies that we use and we just try to make it fun for them to understand and you know hopefully like we said it will get we 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 believe that if we keep doing it often enough Mm -hmm. and we start normalizing these conversations um, and get it out to the community as much as we can hopefully it's not like a broken telephone by the time it gets to where it needs to get to. We want it to be just snap your fingers. It just comes to everyone naturally, self-regulation.
0: You talk about these steps and uh, we were talking about something very similar to this, but this was in terms of how do you talk to a child um, basically about racism? It's a very complicated thing to try to talk to someone at that age, three years old, about racism. Here we are now, we're trying to talk about the challenges that we uh, associate in terms of learning differently, all of the stressors. Does your book, I Find It Hard to Learn, help individuals, or I should say children, at that age, three years old, to be able to use that as an entryway to your way of thinking?
2: I believe so. Yes, 100%. Because, you know, the goal of the story is to help everyone understand that we need to embrace other people's differences. So it's not to be afraid of the differences and to be, you know, a bit reluctant and scared to think, oh, well, this person's different than me. So I'm not sure if I should build a relationship with them. But it's important for us to recognize those differences and love those differences, in particular, about race, when you're thinking about a child who has never interacted, you know, a non-racialized child who has never interacted with a racialized child how are we going to help them start this conversation i think this story does help them right because it's important to see that it doesn't matter what race you are chances are you can definitely relate to feeling like oh i wasn't picked when i was on you know the soccer field as a person to play it wasn't about your race it was probably just about, maybe it could have been about the fact that you hadn't played soccer before. So people can relate to that regardless of their race. Um, When you're thinking about writing legibly, again, people can relate to that regardless of their race. So I believe that this is a great way to start the conversation. And when we're thinking about teaching our young people and helping our young people understand anti-Black racism, um, racism, all the different isms in the world, I always believe that starting early and having the conversations, modeling as a parent, as an adult, as a caregiver, that that love and compassion for everyone around us is probably going to be a better resource and a better teacher when I think about um, how to really convey that message to our young people.
1: Modeling is truly amazing when it comes to teaching, isn't it? Because I will often say, if a child didn't see adults walking, they wouldn't walk. If Mm. they saw adults on their knees crawling, they would crawl. If a child didn't see adults taking food and putting it to their mouths, they would not. And then there's an African proverb that I used last week that says, if a father goat breaks into a yam store, and the kids are watching. Mm. If the father goes to an African proverb, and to me this speaks volumes, breaks into a yam yam store with his kids, you know what that means. Right? So modeling indeed what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. Now, what's the best piece of advice that you have ever, ever been given?
2: Oh man, so much. Um, I think the best piece of advice from, I'm not even sure who it came from. I mean, it was, I always think about advice as bits of pieces that, you know, come to you when you least expect it. So sometimes you don't remember who it, who said it, but you know, um, it came to you. But, um, haste makes waste is one of the things that I love to use. Um, you know, I think, we get caught up thinking that you gotta do things quickly. I gotta hurry up. Um, and I think in particular now with me being at 48 and feeling like I have all these dreams and all these goals, I'm feeling like sometimes, oh my gosh, I gotta hurry up, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I gotta do this, I gotta do that. And then I just keep going back to what this person said, you know, haste makes waste, you know, so takes, so, you know, so so for me when I heard that saying, I added the next piece where I was like, okay, haste makes waste. So slow down the pace. Haste makes, so I end up making a little tune for it. Haste makes waste. So slow down the pace. Haste makes waste. So anyways, so that's what I kind of keep in the back of my mind. And I think that always helps me because regardless of where you are, like what you're doing, slow down, right? And my husband said it to me all the time because I sometimes feel like I'm ADHD in a sense that I have a lot of Attention! like a lot of hyperactivity I am pretty hyper as a person so a lot of times I have to say that to myself and remind myself slow down slow down you know haste makes waste. so slow down the pace and just take your time so I think that was the best advice for sure
0: well we know that you are an early childhood educator and educational consultant so how do you make kids laugh
2: oh my gosh by entertaining them like I said I mean you got a little snippet of my song there Um, and soon you'll see my on my YouTube channel Um, I'm working on I'm trying to do a I'm trying to work on an album we're still in the works of trying to figure out how we're going to do it if we're going to do it as a YouTube channel a kid's show um, or if we're just going to do uh, yeah we're not sure yet but I make kids laugh by being as young as I can and I think that's one of the reasons why I've done so well as an early childhood educator with resp- like building relationships with our young people and our parents is because I always let my inhib- my inhibitions go. I, I love being a child. I feel like my inner child is always outside, thankfully. And um, yeah, like I said, I, I love writing stories for them, making jokes. I think that helps too. And um singing lots of songs and just being silly like i mean i i think i've heard so many times you're so silly miss morgan like the amount of times i've heard you're so silly miss morgan that's i realize that enough. you know what but i reach out to them in that way right so they feel comfortable enough to know that miss morgan is okay she tells us what to do and we do what we have to do but at the same time she still loves us and has fun with us and makes us feel good so i think for me just having fun with them and loving them is the best way to build that relationship
1: but but to be successful in your role as an educator you you, you need to have fun you yeah. need to for them to see that you are having fun and it's not a chore so that's yeah. really really important yes now who would you say or what would you say is responsible for the person that you are today miss nicole cummins morgan
2: um you know i thought about that and i was thinking to myself like who would i say and i have to say it wouldn't it couldn't just be narrowed down to one person or one thing it would definitely have to be an array of you know like my mom um she was a very you know out there type of person she's an extrovert like myself where we joke about it all the time that we walk on the street and we're talking to everybody. Like my kids will be like, mom, you don't have to talk to everybody. It's okay. Like, you know, but I'm that person in the grocery store who, you know, like, did you see what happened just now? Like what's going on? Like, you know, you you get to the bus stop and I'm having a conversation. I feel at ease speaking to anybody. So that's another reason why I think I've always done so well in a classroom where I've always felt like, communication for me always comes easy. So I think from my mom, I got, you know, that extroverted personality and was able to build on that and really embrace it as my talent, as my gift, as my skill, something that God gave me to truly start to share with the world in terms of making the the world a better place. Um, And then from my dad, I got that piece of quietness where at first I thought it was, you know, a joke because I would tell the I would say to people, yeah, I'm a bit quiet. they be like, I don't think so. Which part do you use quiet? But meaning that I was I've been able to see him in the way he is with regards to letting things go, and I try now to let things go and just be quiet, right? And this is where my husband comes in again, where he'll be like, you don't always have to say something. You don't always have to make a comment. Just take your time, right? So you know that piece, and then I think from early um, my early childhood experiences like one of the things I'm working on right now is trying to document the importance of early childhood experiences and how they mean everything and I'm trying to help people understand like if you think about the world you can't hear a person's story without hearing about their early childhood experiences you can't think of history without thinking of early childhood experiences. You can't, nothing can be done. You watch movies, you watch shows, you hear songs, you talk to people, all about early childhood experiences. So um, yeah, my early childhood experiences created some stories that, you know, I wish were different. And I think that made me realize that I want to do things different. Generational trauma we know is huge in terms of the West Indian community for me. So I thought, I need to stop, I need to change something. Like this cycle has to be broken. Like we can't keep doing things the way we've been doing it just because we've been doing it that way. That, you know, I think that's one of the things for me where I realize just because we've been doing it doesn't make it right. So um, I think really understanding my early childhood experiences have led me to where I am. And then of course my education. A lot of people say to me, well, I think if you weren't an early childhood educator, you wouldn't feel what you feel right now. And maybe they're perhaps right. Perhaps they are right. But I know that that education with my personal experiences, with what my parents gave me, with my you know siblings and all those people around me, I wouldn't be where I am today. So I count. Yeah.
0: You, the title of your book is I Find It Hard to Learn. So I have a twofer. Okay. All right. One, how did you come up with the title? What motivated you to come up with that title? And then which came first? Did the title come first or the actual story? This,
2: you know what, Elton, uh, I gotta say, Mr. Brown, I don't know what to say. I know that when I started it, it did just start with I find it hard to learn. So when I started writing, I wrote, I find it hard to learn when people say I'm too slow. I don't try to be. Sometimes I just don't know. That just came immediately when I thought about the fact that educators will say, do this. And it was funny because later on, when I looked at the research, they talk about reframing the behavior. Dr. Ross Green talks about that. We used to always do this whole thing to kids where you're just being lazy. You, It's not that you you can't, it's that you won't. But we're coming to realize that maybe the, pers- the child hasn't developed it yet at that moment. So when I think about this, when I started the poem, yeah, it started off with, I find it hard to learn when people say I'm too slow. I don't try to be, sometimes I just don't know. It was that same feeling that I thought about was the fact that we're making these assumptions that children are behaving this way just because he's choosing not to do his work. He's five. Is he really choosing not to do his work? If his behavior is expressing reluctance and hesitancy and he's trying to avoid doing something, isn't that something more? Shouldn't we as educators pick up and read the situation and read what's happening? So. Yeah, that's that. So that's where it came from. And I won't lie; some people have said to me the title could have been a bit more positive. I know. I I, I mean, but it is what it is. It, that's how the title turned out. It is
1: what it is. It is what it is. But you know, I'm listening to you, and I must say that I'm learning a lot, and I'm enjoying this chat with you on Zoom. And uh, I wish that my children had caring adults in their lives, in school, mm-hmm. caring adults like you. But listen to my other question. What words of wisdom would you offer to a person entering the field of ECE?
2: I always say uh, be flexible. And when I say be flexible, be flexible with opportunities. You know, we all think that once we graduate from, you know, getting a degree, whatever your diploma, that the learning stops there. Some people, not everybody, but I try to help them understand when I think about words of wisdom and sharing with them is that professional and personal development is a journey. It's a lifelong journey. And in order for you to truly be the best that you can be, you have to continue with that learning. Um, Because I feel particularly with early childhood educators, we are in a role, we're in a job that is very demanding. Right, demanding with the um, requirements, demanding physically, demanding mentally, emotionally. So, if you don't continue to develop yourself in a way that you're growing, you know yourself. Meant like with regards to thinking about, hmm, have I developed my self regulation skills? Am I using them in the workplace? Research has showed X, Y, Z. Am I using that research in my practice to help me be better, to do better? If you're not continuously learning, then, um, you know, regardless of where you are, but I think particularly with early childhood education, you need to, um, you need to, if you're not continuously learning, you need to start because without the continuous learning, you're not going to be able to grow in your practice to be the best that you can be for the children and the families and the coworkers that you're around, that you surround yourself with. So that's always the best.
1: What I'm I'm hearing you say is that when you're in this field, if you want to be the best that you can be, you need to pause and reflect. You need to pause and reflect. And that's where growth, that's where learning, that's where actualization comes
0: from. Thank you so
1: much for that.
2: Yes, remember, reflect, change, and maintain, right?
0: So So why don't we get you to read some of your book to us?
2: Of course. Yes, I will. I appreciate that. Okay. I find it hard to learn when people say I'm too slow. I don't try to be. Sometimes I just don't know. I find it hard to learn when my friends are really fast. It feels like no matter how I try, I still finish last. I find it hard to learn when my teacher is in a rush. So most of the time, if I'm not sure, I keep my questions hush. I find it hard to learn some of the lessons they teach at school. But at home with technology, I am super smart, super cool. I find it hard to learn science, French and math. But my papa says when I read a roadmap, I find the perfect path. I find it hard to learn by sitting through activities, but when I get outside to play sports, the other kids, well, they all pick me. I find it hard to learn and remember all the language rules, but at home when I am building, I can use all the power tools. I find it hard to learn or to write very neat. Like always on the lines, my fingers feel the feet. I find it hard to learn when people start to say, it's easier to do it like this, trying to teach me their way, I find it hard to learn when I'm in a busy classroom. The noise, things hanging, I hope recess comes soon. I find it hard to learn to do what others do, so I try my best and Mama says that's what I want from you. My way of learning is not the same as people I know. My way of learning is just for me and it will guide me as I grow. At times I feel sad when my marks aren't high, but with determination and perseverance, I will soar through the sky. I may not take the path that others may take. Doctor, lawyer, teacher, nope, no worries, I'll still be great. My family, my friends and teachers only want what's best. That I can agree with. There's no contest. And that's it. Wow. Are you sure it a kids book? Are you sure it does a kids book or it's written for adults? I know. Well, that's what I, you know, it's so funny, Rita, because that's what I'm working on right now is I'm trying to turn it into a resource um, for educators because I'm able to, I was able to, through my workshops, create and design questions to kind of go with the book, to help people, you know, just to bring awareness, to help everyone to understand, like, what can we do different in our practice when you're thinking about the story? I like the rhyming.
0: I I think your book is uh, powerful. And I think that it is relatable to children and adults. Yes. It's very poignant. I think leads for the parents especially to do a lot of thinking. And so I think this book is perfect for anyone, everyone who needs that boost, that uplift. And and you know, we all need that. Parents, educators, you know, and children. Mm -hmm. Today we learned so much about you and your bubbly personality we'll just call call it that for now. And, you know, you being an educator and how you emphasize the importance of family support and how those kind words are very empowering to a child who may feel like they're left out. And the fact that allowing a kid to be whoever whatever they wish to be, as opposed to saying you must be a doctor or you must be a lawyer, whatever they decide to do, they're good. They'll be the best at that, whatever it is. Yes, Very powerful conversation with you. Rita and I enjoyed it so, so much. And I'm going to ask you to please come back to us again. I'm sure you're writing another book. (laughs) So as soon as you complete your next book, please come to us uh, so that we can have another conversation with you and uh, to find out what you're doing and to add to your book, another book, I find it hard to learn. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you, Mr. Brown. Thank Thank you, Ms. Berg. Thank you. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for having me. It was so beautiful. So beautiful. Thank you.
3: Thank you for listening to Speak Up! International. If you wish to contact Nicole Cummings Morgan, please leave your name, your email address, and the reason why you wish to contact Ms. Cummings Morgan to info at Are you interested in the opportunity to be interviewed and have your cause promoted by Speak Up! Point? International, we invite you to connect to us by sending a message that includes your name, company, or organization name, the valuable service you offer to your community, and your email address to info at speakuppodcast.ca. Worried about your confidence as an interviewee? Don't fret. Exclamation Point International can provide you with the necessary training So you shine during an interview with us or through another interview. To receive training information and a 10% discount about the Speak Up! International Podcast interviewee program, email us at info at speakuppodcast.ca. You can also reach us by using Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. To connect to our podcast, use Spotify or your favorite podcast platform, and search for Speak Up! International. You can also find our podcast using our web address www.speakuppodcast.ca. Our logo has the woman with her finger pointing up, mouth open, speaking up. At Speak Up! International, we aim to inspire, to inform and to educate.